0: He was a chief of the synagogue, a respected layman who did not teach, but he maintained and organized and administrated the goings-on at the synagogue. And because of that, he was a prominent man in the community. He had become increasingly worried about the condition of his 12-year-old daughter, He felt helpless, powerless, desperate, and scared to death of losing his little girl. He heard that Jesus had arrived on the shore of his town, which was situated on the lake, and he went to ask Jesus to heal his daughter. Now, Jesus wasn't accepted by his religious community, but Jesus did have a reputation as a healer, and he was desperate. The man Jairus would put aside the opinions of his peers and go to Jesus and ask Jesus to come to his home, lay hands on his daughter, and heal her. But he had to hurry because her labored breathing condition told him and everyone else that death was at the door. She was a woman who had been bleeding for her uterus for 12 years. The incessant blood flow made her ceremonially unclean according to Jewish law. And that meant whoever she touched became unclean. And whatever she sat on became unclean. Whoever touched her would be unclean. You could not share a bed with her. You could not sit in the same chair she did. She could not sit at the synagogue. She was an outcast, living in shame and living in poverty because she had spent everything she had trying to find a doctor who would cure her. But they had only made her worse, and she was broke. The stories of this man and this woman intersect when they meet Jesus. And we read about their encounter in Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. So we'll read that. knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the, father, the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the little girl was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone or not to let anyone know about this, and they told them to give her something to eat. Jairus begs Jesus to come heal his daughter. My little girl is dying. Are any words more frightening? Any words more desperate? Have you ever been desperate or frightened? Jesus agrees to go with him, and on his way the crowd is pressing on to him. Everyone's touching him. And a woman, we've already heard of her, thinks, if I can only touch him, I'll be healed. That's how much faith she has in Jesus. She too is desperate. Not only has her illness been bothersome, not only is the constant blood loss making her anemic and weak, but it has resulted in her isolation avoidance of human contact, the denial of physical love, extreme embarrassment and shame. Not only that, it's left her broke and destitute. So she presses through the crowd. She comes up behind Jesus and she touches him. And immediately she feels something in her body and she knows that she's been healed. But at that same time, Jesus feels power going out of his body. He says, who touched me? The disciples say, Jesus, everyone's touching you. How can you say, who touched me? Jesus says, no, someone touched me. And he starts looking around on who that person could be. The woman is horrified because she knows it was me. And she's afraid. Will he scold me because I touched him and made him unclean? Will he be repulsed by my uncleanness? She's not alone in her fear. Even today, There are people who will avoid Jesus because they're afraid they'll scold him. They'll scold them or he's afraid he'll be repulsed or will reject them because of their unclean thoughts or unclean ways. She's afraid of being rejected by Jesus. But she comes forward, frightened, laying down at his feet, and says, it was me. I'm the one who touched you. And Jesus' response? Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. Go with my peace. That word, your faith has healed you, is sozo. It can mean heal, rescue, save, like in saving a life. And salvation in Jesus includes all that. Salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven after you die. It's a whole new life, a a new quality of life, an eternal life. Quality of life that begins the moment Jesus touches you. Jesus called her out because he wanted this woman who had always thought of herself as an outcast and because he wanted everyone else who thought of her as an outcast to know that she was an outcast no longer, but that she was whole, she was healed. She was clean, and she was a daughter of God. He also said, my peace or my shalom goes with you. Shalom is a sense of wholeness and well-being. Faith in Jesus is the vehicle by which we receive his shalom. We hear often in evangelical churches, we are saved by faith. We also receive peace by faith. Meanwhile, this delay is making Jairus quite nervous. Can you imagine his impatience? My daughter can die at any moment and Jesus is taking his own sweet time? Have we ever been upset with the timing of Jesus? His fear is realized when his servants come and say, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher any longer. Our text says that Jesus overheard them. And so he turns to Jairus who... Upon hearing those words, the breath just goes out of him. Then he is seized with a panic. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Only believe. The tense in the Greek is the imperfect. It's one of continuous action. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Keep on believing. Believing. Jesus is telling him, you asked me to heal your daughter. I said I would keep believing. Well, Jairus believes enough to keep on going. When he enters his house it's full of people there's a commotion people are wailing and screaming and tearing their clothes and as just as he had feared his daughter is dead but Jesus says why all the commotion why are you guys wailing she's not dead she's asleep and the people who are there they know she's dead so what Jesus says sounds crazy, or even worse, a cruel joke. And the wailing turns into ridicule. Jesus sends everyone else out. Takes Peter, and James, and John, and the mother, and the father, and they go into the place where the little girl is. Takes her by the hand and says, Talitha Kum. It's Aramaic. It's the common language of the people. It means, little girl, get up. <gasps> she sits up and starts to walk around the room. And Jesus says, Give her something to eat. The text says in the Greek, Immediately, they were astonishingly astonished. That's the Greek way of saying they're blown away. I think um, the fact that Mark records those words, Talitha kum, the Aramaic, As again, another testimony in this gospel and throughout the gospels that this is just not a legend that someone made up. No one who tells legends translates actual words or counts the number of pigs in a herd or tells us that Jesus was sleeping on the boat with a cushion under his head. These details tell us that these are eyewitnesses' account that happened exactly as they were described to happen. And if they are eyewitnesses of counts, and if these things really happened, then Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, faith is what the woman and Jairus had in common. And faith is not faith in itself. It's faith in someone or in something. You know, some people will say, "Well, you gosh, gotta believe, gotta have faith." Believing in belief and faith in faith is nothing. Faith is always trust and belief in someone. I have to bring up the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. After the game, they interviewed several of the players. All of them mentioned, hey, we had faith, right? Seven minutes into the fourth quarter, I did not. They had faith. (laughs) And the faith wasn't this, well, I sure hope we win. It was, no, we had faith that our quarterback would make a play. We had faith that our wide receivers would make a play. We had faith that our defense would stop their run. We had faith in someone. Both the woman and Jairus had enough faith to believe that Jesus would do what they asked him to do. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has made you whole, or your faith has saved you. To Jairus, he said, keep on believing. Now, this is not teaching faith healing, where if I only have enough faith, then what I ask for will happen. What do you say to the person, if that's what you think, who's praying for a loved one to get well? and that loved one dies. Did you not have enough faith? Or did that dying person not have enough faith? That's cruel. That's wrong. And neither are we teaching here that if we have enough faith, we can name it and claim it. But in the name of Jesus... I'm going to declare that I want a new pickup truck. And I'm going to have faith that he provides it for me. Some televangelists say that about their new Learjet they want to buy. But that's not faith. Faith means we believe in Jesus enough to ask him not with wishful thinking but believing that Jesus can do what we ask for and then we leave the results to Jesus in the next chapter of Mark we'll read about a visit to Nazareth and we'll say that the people there did not believe in him then it says that because of that he could not do many miracles there and that he's actually amazed at their lack of faith And so there is a component of faith that's necessary for Jesus to work. I think it's because God chooses to work through faith. He will not work where people do not believe him or trust him. If you say about me, I don't trust you, and so I'm not going to ask anything of you, then I'm not going to do anything for you, right? But if you say, I trust you, I believe you can do this, and I'm asking you to do this for me, then you leave it to me to act in the way that I think is best for everyone I'm involved with. Here's what faith really does. Faith joins us to Christ, or joins us to God, or joins us to the Spirit, three in one. It joins us to them like marriage joins husband and wife, or like adoption joins father and daughter. And now in this relationship, you have access to them and you have access to their goodness and to their power, and so that what he accomplishes is ours. And he is happy to act on our behalf. But he acts on the behalf of everyone who's in his family. So if you're a a husband who really loves his wife, and a father who really loves his daughter. They have access to you. They have permission to ask you of things, but you still have to work in coordination and according to your wisdom and take into account all the other things that are going on. Faith is not something magic. Rather, it joins us to the one we have faith in. And from this union, we receive the benefits of the relationship. Now, that said, we can read some aspects of faith from this passage. Number one, faith is believing enough to ask Jesus for something beyond what they could do on their own. The woman couldn't heal herself, and no one else could and the daughter was going to die, they had to ask Jesus for something that was beyond what they could do. Secondly, their faith is public. Jesus did not let the woman slip unnoticed into the crowd, but he made her faith public and commended her for it. So faith is a public thing. Third, it requires humility. Jairus, the synagogue official, had to humble himself before Jesus and before his peers because, you know, he's part of the Pharisee scribe community. Jesus is not cool with them, but he doesn't care. I'm going to humble myself and not fear the opinions of men. Faith believes and doesn't fear the uh, fear of men. And it is faith that keeps on believing. Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't let your fear overwhelm you. Don't concentrate on that. Keep believing. Keep believing. You asked me to heal your daughter. I said I would. You keep believing. And so faith trusts Jesus to do what he says he will do. Their only hope was Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. Think about it. Our only hope for mercy is Jesus. Our only hope for goodness to follow us all the days of our life, that's Jesus. Our only hope for eternal life and we all are going to die, that's Jesus. Some of you are at the end of your rope. Some of you are scared to death for your struggling child. Some of you have your life falling apart, and you see no light at the end of the tunnel. Some of you fear the death of a loved one who is ill. Maybe you have your own health struggles, or maybe you are facing your own death, and maybe you're afraid of a subsequent judgment. Your only hope is Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. Are you scared? Keep believing. Are you hopeless? Keep believing. Do you see no way out? Keep believing. Are you depressed and even want to die? Keep believing. Keep believing in Jesus. Let us pray. Jesus, where else will we go? Whom else will we turn to? You have the words of eternal life. And Lord, we bring to you our worries, our fears, our anxieties, our struggles, our sin, our ugliness, our brokenness, We come near asking that you would touch us. So we bring these things to you, Lord. Touch us and make us whole. Even now, Holy Spirit of peace, breathe hope. Bring a, a change of perspective that will change our despair into the future and the hope you have for us. Now, Lord, we've given you all our junk. Now we're going to give you our gifts because you're worthy. Bless these as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.